talking about our mission statement, talking about what God has called us to be and do at New Covenant. We've been going through systematically each and every part of our mission statement, right? Everybody got it memorized yet? No? Well, let's give it a try without it on the screen. Ready? We are raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God and people from the next generation who will love deeply, serve sacrificially, speak truthfully, live holy, and go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit, calling all people to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. That's right. And so today, I'm going to hit serving sacrificially. Which is why what Phyllis is doing is beautiful. She is serving sacrificially. I'm going to talk about that, you know, and Eric had already kind of covered loving deeply. Not that we can't talk about love again because we could talk about love till the end of the year and still not exhaust that subject. And I've obviously been talking about three different ways we should be loving, radically, passionately, aggressively, right? Loving God, loving people. But I'm going to move on to serving sacrificially. And so, again, as my custom, I want to define what does that mean for us. What does serving sacrificially look like? First, the word serving simply means this. To be useful, to help to perform duties, to render obedience to God. That's serve. To be useful, to help, to perform duties, to render obedience to God. And serve and serving, those words are action words. It's not a state of mind, although you have to get that state of mind as I'm a servant. But serving and serve only shows up when something's being done. And the only way that serve can, or serving can exist is in the physical demonstration of either being useful or helpful or performing duties that are in obedience to God. So when someone at the front desk of the hotel greets you and they ask, how may I serve you? They're asking, what duty can I perform on your behalf? That's what they're asking. How can I be useful to you? When a person enters the military, sometimes we say that they're entering the service. Meaning that they are signing up to perform duties to be useful and helpful in obedience to our nation's leadership. Veterans say things like, well, I was in the service for 10 years. People who wait on tables at a restaurant, they're called servers because they're providing useful and helpful tasks in accordance with the wishes of the people whom they are serving at the table. So serving is a word that we are all very familiar with. We see it all the time. 
It's fa- in fact, it's seen probably in every aspect of life. And it's clearly seen throughout the entire Bible. So, what does sacrificially mean? Well, it comes from the word sacrifice. And sacrifice means this. It is the surrender or destruction of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher cost. So, when we sacrifice, we surrender or give something of value to us. We give it for the sake of something else that has a greater cause or purpose. For example, a college student may sacrifice a night of sleep to study for that test. I remember those nights. Well, they sacrificed this desirable thing called sleep in order to gain a, a much better outcome when it comes to my grade. I gave up sleep so I could get a C-, because <laughs> that's what I was shooting for. <laughs> Can't fail this class. <laughs> so, another example, parents. We sacrifice time, we sacrifice money, we sacrifice sleep in order to gain a better outcome for our children. Over and over and over we do this. In baseball, there's a sacrificial bunt. And it's, uh, it's the act of a batter who's deliberately bunting the ball before there's two outs, by the way. And they do that in a manner that allows another runner on a base to advance closer to home plate. Usually resulting in the, the bunt batter getting thrown out. So again, the batter sacrificed his personal opportunity to score a run for the higher purpose of getting another runner closer to home plate. And then, of course, we have the Bible, which thoroughly illustrates and explains what a sacrifice is and what it looks like. You know, beginning in the Old Testament, we can read that God required his people to offer a sacrifice to atone for their sins. In fact, Leviticus 4 describes this in detail, starting in verse 13. It says, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally... And does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, when they realize their guilt and the sin they committed becomes known, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering and present it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. So, Every time someone sinned in the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice an animal to atone for their sins. And again, the value of the bull or the goat or the lamb, it was surrendered for the higher value of having their sins covered over. Does that make sense? So when we say that we are raising up the next generation to serve sacrificially, 
We are saying that we are going to give up things that are valuable to us for the sake of another thing that has a higher value. And there are all kinds of things that are valuable to us that God asks us to sacrifice in order to serve him better. I remember um, when I first, I had fully dedicated my life to the Lord at 19. Just finished my first year of college and came home and decided it was time for a change. And I just said, okay, I'm all yours. Spent all my energy being bad and rebellious. Guess what? I'm going to spend it all now being good for you. So there you go. That was my sinner's prayer. (laughs) I swear it was. (laughs) Almost word for word. I'm like, spent a lot of energy being bad. I'm going to be good now for you. And that was it. And a miracle happened in so many different ways. (laughs) But anyway, so at that time, I I was just, I mean, it was like I was on. I mean, I was in. I was on 100%. I'm like passionate for God. And at this point, I'm going to a small little church out in the country, and I would go out to that church through the week and some night, I don't know, during the day, whenever I felt like it, because they let me have a key. And I would go out, and I would just pray, just go out to the church and come to the altar and get down on my knees and I'd just pray at the altar, just asking God to help me reveal his will to my life. God, what do you want to do? God, help me be a famous rock star for Jesus, you know, just all kinds of great stuff. And uh, so I'm out there one day, and I'm praying, and it's just me out there. And while I'm kneeling at the altar, I hear uh, God ask me to get rid of my secular cassette collection. Sets at the time. (laughs) CDs were out, but they just weren't popular enough. So at first I thought, eh, I probably thought that one up myself. So I went back to praying. And the moment I took a breath, (laughs) I heard it again. And this time it made me a little angry. Yeah. That's exactly right, because I had like over a hundred cassettes. I had the big display thing, you know, on my wall. And, and honestly, some of, some of the, I mean, I had like entire collections, like everything, like from ACDC, all their stuff. Led Zeppelin, every album, Ozzy Osbourne, Van Halen. I mean, I even had stuff that was like the hard to get overseas thing, you know, like only recorded in Japan and you know, that kind of weird stuff. And so, I mean, I had a collection, and I was proud of it, and I loved it all, every single bit of it. So anyway, okay, well, I pressed on into my prayer. I'm going to keep praying about other things. And again, I hear, get rid of your tapes. At this point, I'm actually furious. (laughs) And I get up off my knees, and I sit down on the pew, and I cross my arms, and I start sulking. I mean, I'm just ticked off. I'm like, this is not fair that you would ask this of me. And I'm sulking, and I'm sitting there with my arms crossed, and I'm not praying, and I'm not happy. And I start justifying to God why I can still listen to secular music and it not affect me. 
You know, I'm, I'm arguing with God. You know, I, I know what's right and wrong with these lyrics. I know what's right and wrong. I, you know, um, I can discern the difference. I know that's evil and, you know, singing Mr. Crawley and all that stuff. Ozzy, I know it's wrong. This is the music I'm into. I start complaining about how much it cost me to buy all those cassettes, which at the time were maybe five bucks a piece. Yeah. But that was big money for a guy with no money. <laughs> and so here I am, I'm complaining, I'm justifying, I'm whatever, and I still hear that voice, get rid of your tapes. Now, one thing you may not know about me is um, I may be stubborn with God, I may argue with God, but because he is supreme in my life, I always surrender. I always give in to God. It may take longer than it should have, but I always give in and I surrender. It is next to impossible for me to deny God what he wants from me. It just wrecks me on the inside. I, I, can't, I can't stop thinking and obsessing about it if I think there's something I'm supposed to do or not do or have or not have. I just obsess until he finally gets what he wants. And so it may take him a while, but he always does get what he wants. And so here I am. I'm sitting in this church, and I'm just dying on the inside over making this decision. To obey him. <clears throat> and so, as he's wrecking my heart, my heart starts to soften. And so now I, I move into negotiation mode. <laughs> and it goes something like this I say, Well, if you're going to make me get rid of all my tapes, my secular music, well, then. You're going to have to replace it with all Christian music that's just like this music. <laughs> it's just as heavy as anything I've been listening to, Metallica, Pantera. Yeah. And so in God's, his great patience and his extreme mercy towards me, I feel him just give me this little nod yes. So over the next couple of weeks, I begin to sell and give away every secular cassette I have. Back in the day when Karma Records still existed, they'd buy used cassettes. And I had some premium product because I'm like, I got the whole collection. Wow, yeah, I'll take that and that and that and those. I'm like, okay. Went to a pawn shop after that <laughs> and then threw them away or gave them away. Yeah, good, good on you. But then I start to rebuild my collection. I start going after bands like Bride and Deliverance, Ken Tamplin, White Soldier, Believer. You know, well, that was down the road. <laughs> Even Striper, which, by the way, was cool because... That was actually the one cassette I had stuck in all these secular ones that I could keep. So like after I emptied out my big display, I had one tape. 
I was like, I know I can keep Striper to hell with the devil. <laughs> that was the name of the album. And I jammed it for weeks until I started finding some other stuff. Oh. One cassette. It was my seed. <laughs> but see, I tell you all of this to demonstrate that I had to make a sacrifice of my secular music for the higher purpose of obeying God. So that my soul and my spirit could detox from the negative and sometimes demonic music that had poisoned my heart. And you see, I had no idea that God would one day raise me up to be a prophetic minstrel, a chief musician, an apostolic worshiper that would, would one day train and raise up generations of worshipers. I had no idea about that when I was sitting in that church. And so I served God sacrificially that day. And it made a way for my destiny to begin to unfold. And we have a lot of things in life that are valuable to us. And I promise you, God will ask you for all of them. He will ask you for all of it. He will ask you to serve him and others sacrificially for some of your most prized possessions. Two of the biggest, most valuable things that I believe God asks us for is time and money. Those two things are enormous when it comes to us giving it away. And we can be very stingy with those two things. When God asks us to serve him, he goes right to the things that we idolize most. Our time and our money. In fact, the story of the rich young man just describes this perfectly. In Matthew, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, <clears throat> a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's awesome. Jesus looked at this guy and loved him. And then he zings him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at that, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is not just making a statement that rich people don't get to go to heaven. 
It's talking about the heart. People who have an abundance. Abundance of time, money, talent, resources. And God knows the very thing that you and I are idolizing. And he goes straight to it to reveal what's in our hearts. In fact, idolatry is the very enemy of serving sacrificially. And here's why. First, an, <clears throat> an idol is anything that we have to consult before we can obey God. I'm going to say that again because you need to remember this. An idol is anything that you have to consult before you can obey God. So here's an example. Anytime you are asked to serve sacrificially, either by the Lord or other people, do you say things like, well, let me check my kid's sports schedule? Or how about this one? Well, my favorite TV show is that night, and I can't miss this week's episode. Or maybe this one. I can do that if my spouse says it's okay. Or how about I have to check with my friends, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Ask yourself this question. Do you have the attitude that the weekend belongs to you? Oh, don't mess with my weekends. Don't ask me to come help on Saturday. It's my only day off. How many times have you said no to God because you're just too tired? How many times have you bailed out of a commitment at church to go do something more fun? Or entertaining. How many times have you put your own comfort ahead of serving God and others? Sacrificially. Now listen, I, I'm not saying that your kid's sports career is bad. I'm not saying you can't have a favorite TV show. Okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't consult your spouse and make Major decisions with them. What I am saying is this. Are you consulting the Lord before everything else with the attitude that whatever he says, you will do it regardless of the cost? That's what I'm really getting at. Are you willing to go to God first and hear from him, no matter what it costs you. Because I'm telling you, we it's okay to enjoy life. God, God wants us to enjoy life. But not at the expense of serving him and others sacrificially. You know, as Christians, we love uh, cliches, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. <laughs> well, there's one particularly popular cliche.
cliche, and it speaks to the order of importance of things in our life, right? Now some of you may know where I'm going with this. We love to go, well, you know, when it comes to what's important, we go, God, family, work, ministry. Right? We've all heard that one. We've all said that one. Problem is with that hierarchy is that it isn't biblical. It's not biblical. In fact, the real order, I'll, I'll share it with you. You ready? It's God, then it's God, and then God again, and then at the very end, it's, it's God. Call it Jehovah or Yahweh or whatever. Jehovah, Yahweh, great I am, whatever. In other words, God and God alone is your number one priority. All the time, 100% of the time. Every day, seven days a week, 365 and sometimes a quarter days a year. So we have leap year. God and God alone is our priority. That means that we seek him in every decision and not rely on to some artificial hierarchy that gives us permission not to do ministry. You see, sometimes God puts your work before your family. Sometimes he does. Sometimes God puts your family before your work. Sometimes God will get psycho crazy on us and put ministry before work and your family. What? Crazy God. Don't you know I've got a baby? Got a whole class on how to take babies and do ministry. <laughs> you see, the problem is we never consider the thought. We just don't even consider it that, get, that maybe serving God in ministry could come first because we idolize our job as our source. It's an idol. We idolize our family life and our children instead of consecrating them to the Lord and allowing him to prioritize family life and family activities. And if you're not convinced that God will go after the idolatry of our children, well, we might ask our buddy Abraham what he thinks about that. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Oh, that sounds like fun. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. He's so sweet, the joy of your life. And go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, the rest of the story says that God stopped Abraham before he sacrificed Isaac. But God wanted to see what was in Abraham's heart. Would Abraham obey God and serve God sacrificially? Or would Abraham make Isaac an idol? Because 
He represented the prophetic destiny of Abraham's life. Church, I tell you, if we're going to raise up the next generation to serve sacrificially, we've got to model this in our own lives. And as I watch children grow up and increasingly develop an entitlement attitude, my heart breaks. And that entitlement attitude, it's our fault. You see, when we put our children and their comfort and their entertainment at the center of our universe, we are raising a generation of entitled monsters who don't know how to handle difficulty. They don't know the meaning of hard work. They don't know the meaning of being a contributing, productive member of a community. Now listen, I know I'm hitting this idolatry of our children hard. And the reason why is because our mission is primarily directed at them. The next generation. When we raise our children at home to be first, to be numero uno, to be served instead of being a servant. And then we send them to church or a job one day only for them to hear that they are actually second. It's how the world's ready to receive you. Number two or five or a hundred, whatever, not number one. See, if we raise them at home, you're number one. You're the center of mom and dad's world. Everything we do revolves around you. And then we send them to church and they hear, well, I'm number two. That's a confusing message. I go to a job and, well, I don't like to do that. I don't want to work at the fryer. Oh, well, excuse me, I'm sorry. Your mom called and said you would prefer to work at the front counter. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> Come on up. We've been waiting for number one. We are waiting for you. I don't like the fryer, so I quit. And the monster begins. setting them up to fail if we raise them to think they're number one they're the center of our universe the fact is that family is and can be an idolatry and if you think I'm against family you're crazy I'm married I got four kids and our church is full of children and our mission is to reach the next generation. And I rejoice in that. And I believe that marriage is a gift from God. And I believe children are a blessing from God. But idolatry is when we take a good thing, turn it into a God, and then it becomes a bad thing. In the book of Exodus, you may remember the succession of plagues that God brought 
upon the nation of Egypt. And if you study in it and you look into it deep enough, you'll, you'll see that each plague that God brought actually was executing judgment against one of the gods in Egypt. One of the idols that they worshipped. So when we get to the final plague, which is the killing of the firstborn child, God is executing judgment against the greatest idol of all, the idolatry of my family is always before God, before everything else. Because it's, and it becomes idolatry because we, we make family about seeking identity. You know, my family name. Oh, we're Prebbles. We're Hailers. We get a lot of identity. We get identity through our children's accomplishments. That's why we don't deny them. I need you to be a superstar, baby. I need you to be a superstar so you won't suffer in life. So everyone will love you because winners get love. I'll let you guess what movie that's a quote from. got to win to get love. <laughs> well, it's a lie. You don't have to win. We were all actually losers when God came and loved us. But see, family becomes idolatrous when we seek to get our identity, our, our significance from it instead of getting it from God. We take a good thing, we turn it into a God, it becomes a bad thing. can be guilty of the sin of Eli. We don't even know it. And then let me give you a little background. Eli, he was in the Bible. He was a priest. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. For Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. So Eli was this priest. He had two sons, and they were priests. Now, verse 12 of chapter 2, it says about this about his sons. It says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. These are priests, okay? Isn't that amazing? Okay, so now let's jump to, verse, uh, to chapter 3, verse 11. <coughs> and the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he, dad, failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrificing or offering. Now that's heavy. When Eli failed to correct his sons, 
for blaspheming, he was placing his sons above the Lord. And because Eli put his sons before the Lord, they unfortunately received judgment. Now, fortunately for us, we're under the new covenant. And we can at any moment repent for making our children idols, for making our family life an idol. Listen, children are a blessing. Family is a blessing, but we cannot take a good thing, turn it into a God, and it becomes a bad thing. Now, there's other forms of idolatry as well that get in the way of serving sacrificially. As I shared before, money and work, it can be an idol. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you want to know how to tell if your money or your job is an idol? Let me ask you this. Do you lie or cheat to get money? Do you fudge your hours? You always put work before God and family and ministry, just automatically, no matter what. Is your identity in your job? Do you depend on your hours to pay your bills, or do you see God as your source to pay your bills? Do you refuse to tithe because I can't afford it? It's not. In the New Testament. Now again. I'm not saying. Get silly. And go quit your job. So you can serve God sacrificially. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying shift your heart. To seek. To seek God. And to honor him. First. In everything you do. Shift your heart. Go after him and money will follow. Bills will get paid. Matthew 6.33 says it perfectly. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's not like, you know, a fantasy. It's not like maybe sometimes this happens. This is for everyone all the time. When we talk about serving sacrificially, you know, we have to deal with the issue of idolatry. That's why I'm hitting it right now. Because serving sacrificially, believe it or not, is about worship. It's about worship. All throughout the Bible, sacrifice, the word sacrifice and the word worship, they are completely connected. And sometimes interchangeable. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name and do not forget to do good, share with others, 
for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Can anybody notice these are in the New Testament? Okay. Good. See, whenever we give God something that costs us something, we are worshiping. Serving sacrificially is about worship. King David expressed this perfectly in 1 Chronicles 21. There's the, and, and in 1 Chronicles 21, there's this plague that's killing the people. And David is instructed uh, by the prophet to go offer a sacrifice to end the plague. And, and the prophet tells him, go to a specific person's place, his house, and do it there. And so uh, David finds the guy's house, he approaches the man, and here in, in 20, uh, 21, verse 22, David said to him, Let me have this, uh, the side of your threshing floor, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. And then Arauna said to David, Take it. Let my Lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give you all of this. But David replied to Arauna, and he says, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. Sacrificial living is worship. Serving sacrificially is always going to cost you something. Being in the bounce house instead of worship on Sunday morning, that's serving sacrificially. Working in the nursery, serving sacrificially. Working in guppies or children's church, serving sacrificially. Leading a connect group is serving sacrificially. Whenever you surrender something prized or desirable for the sake of something better, we are serving sacrificially. And I want you to know your life as a worshiper is dependent on living this way. We cannot become fully mature worshipers of God and not serve sacrificially. It's not possible. I'm not saying you can't stand up here and raise your hands and cry and worship and tell God you love him. I'm just telling you you're not mature enough until you start serving sacrificially. So, Bob, if you would put some soft music on, I'll just ask everybody to just close your eyes for a moment. You know, I just love to ask questions. Ask you to ask God questions. Since I've been hitting this idle stuff, I want to ask you some questions about that. Do you 
think about your life and the ministry and God and serving him sacrificially. When was the last time you prayed about your family's activities? When was the last time you prayed about your kids' sports, what sports they will do and don't do? When was the last time you asked God if this TV show was okay with him? I'm guilty of that one. Serving God sacrificially means we put him first at the expense of everything else. So let me ask you, are you modeling that for the next generation? How are you going to model this in your own life if you're not? How are you going to show this off to the next generation? If you felt some conviction this morning, I just pray, just just begin to just ask the Lord, say, God, forgive me for my selfishness. Just repent. Let's just clean the slate on this thing and start all over. We can hit reset. And we can start fresh today. God, forgive me for selfishness. Forgive me for bailing on commitments and serving in hard-to-serve places. God, forgive me. Forgive me for complaining, God, and grumbling. God, we want to be a mature expression of worship to you, Father. Pray, God, that we would we would ask you, God, we would get in the habit of just asking you, what do you want? What do you think? What should I do here, God? So, Father, we just we surrender our lives to you, God. So surrender our weekends, God. We, we surrender our entertainment. We surrender our artificial hierarchy of God, family, work, and then ministry, God. That thing is not going to tell us how to live. You are going to tell us how to live. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God you love us enough that you will speak to us that you will 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 pour into us the way in which we should go we will seek you first god and all these things will come after us so father we just say forgive us i pray god that you would help us to Continue to lay our life down like Jesus laid his life down for us.
Father, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. I just pray a blessing over the fathers, the dads in this place right now. I just, I release blessing and favor, courage, faithfulness. God, I just, I bless the dads in the house today to be righteous warriors for you, to be be righteous fathers. I bless them, God, today that they would be men who put you first. They would put you before the job, before the the fun, the entertainment, God, that they would be men, God, that we would be men that put you first. So I bless the dads in this place today. Go with us, Father, as we leave. Help us to walk out this serving sacrificially, Lord. Give us the strength and the courage to lay down every idol in our life. Give us the courage to lay down every idol. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence and your healing. We just bless you today, God. Go with us as we leave this place, as we celebrate dads and as we celebrate you as our ultimate good, good father. We thank you for all that you've done. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. God bless you today. Make sure and tell your dad how much you love him. God bless.